The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Hello, I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith, and welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Today on the show, we're talking about creating rapport. And you know, we've all had experiences where we're left wondering what went wrong in our interactions with another person. We feel we've been very clear about what we wanted to talk about, yet somehow it, it sounded right in our head, but we just couldn't get the message across. And we can always tell by the other person's response or lack of response that they're not really getting where we're coming from. Sometimes for all of our efforts, communication just creates the exact opposite effect of what we did intended. Human interaction without establishing rapport can lead to all kinds of confusion and difficulty and misunderstanding. We know creating rapport is an essential building block to developing and maintaining healthy relationships. And today I want to present a a variety of ideas about the common difficulties we experience in relating with people and how we can easily create rapport with anyone. Now, today's show is not about NLP per se, although we will talk about some easy-to-follow, common-sense approaches to creating rapport that are practiced in NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming such as eye contact and body language, you know, using your voice, connecting in the silence with people, matching, mirroring, and pacing. And all of these techniques are used in NLP, and they can assist you in establishing rapport at home with your family, in the workplace with your coworkers, and even when you're socializing with others. I also want to share some tips with you that I've discovered for myself to help me maintain my balance while interacting with people that are highly stressed or when people are in crisis or maybe people that have very high needs. And you can always adapt these ways of shifting your focus and use these ideas in your life. You know, with the high maintenance people that you love, yet struggle sometimes to share with because often, you know, we feel exhausted after being with them. You'd be interested to know that the statistics f- 
from experiments state, I find this startling, they state that 7% of communication is in the words you speak. Imagine that, 7%, and all the time and care we sometimes take to get our words out just right, and only 7% of the communication is through our words. The other 93% is derived from a mixture of our body language and the tone in our voice. So I would say it's very important for us to pay attention to the behavior that makes up over 90% of how other people perceive you. The statistics are startling. And at the same time, they can explain why people will often say, it's not what you said that upset me. It's the way that you said it. When you put more stock into that 93% of communication and understand that it's nonverbal, then other people's reactions to your communication can take on a whole other meaning. Now, we have all experienced this and know that a little compliment can go a long way in having you feel comfortable with another person. You know, or just watch how easily a person is put at ease when you compliment them. And that's a very natural way that we create rapport with each other. It can be a compliment on an achievement, or it could be as simple as uh, saying that someone's got on a pair of, you know, a great pair of shoes. Or that their smile is so uplifting. Or that you find it easy to feel comfortable and just talk with them. And it's good to remember also, speaking of compliments, that we are sometimes remiss in complimenting our significant others, whoever they may be. I heard of something, oh, on the John Tesh radio show yesterday, where he calls his show Intelligence for Your Life. And he was talking about um, some kind of survey around uh, women that are, uh, you know, very strong uh, characters that seem to have everything under control and don't seem to need everything, anything and are, you know, very efficient. And this study was saying that Often people that relate to that person forget the importance of paying compliments and even in partnership of being romantic with women because of the need for those uh, happy hormones that are stimulated when we have that kind of compliment that happens. You know, social anxiety is a very common experience and the signs can be a little bit difficult to pick up on. Sometimes people use drinking or eating or standing in the same place for the entire evening as a way of managing, you know, some of those subtle and not so subtle sensations that are associated with social anxiety. Or you may find there's somebody that, you know, is always telling the jokes or, pardon the expression, the dirty jokes. I actually worked with somebody one time that did that all the time. That was the first way that he greeted people all the time. And after spending time with this uh, man and getting to really know him and know his sensitivities and his sensibilities, I finally understood that his dirty joke telling was a way of him managing his social anxiety and a way of trying to create rapport with people. So once I realized this, I was able to just say to the, the fella, 
hey, you know, I know you like telling jokes and they're okay, but I really like your conversation. I really enjoy just sitting and talking with you. And that helped him to have that sense of that we had created rapport and that he was being understood and he was able to spend more time having genuine conversations with each other and not so much time just being a jokester. Because really what he was looking for was to create rapport with other people and have deep conversation. At some point, we've all seen a person walk into a room and, you know, we, they seem to look right through us. And maybe we've done it ourselves. And we feel like someone's looking through us as if we're un- invisible. And it's good to know that's not your imagination. In that precise moment, you are invisible. You're invisible to that person. Because their internal environment is already overloaded with whatever's on their mind that they literally cannot register the presence of you standing there in front of them. And sometimes that is because of social anxiety. Often if we just connect with the obvious things that are going on around us in the room or in the environment, that's always a good conversational opener, and it can attract the attention of at least one of the people that you're standing with in the group. And this can be an easy way to decrease some of your anxiety in a social setting and help you create rapport with the people around you. Another aspect is the difference between being interested in the other person. It can be very powerful when you focus your attention and you're actually interested in what the other person is talking about. Notice the times when we try to be interesting at social gatherings. You know, sometimes the people you're talking to, they want to walk away after only a few moments. And one person continually talking in a group is very different from having a conversation with people. When there's a conversation, there's an exchange, and there's rapport, and there's sharing of ideas. You know, we've all noticed ourselves losing interest in what someone was talking about, even when we may be very interested in the subject matter. Lack of rapport can be the missing link in those situations. And here's another one. This is uh, an area that uh, is really important, and that is about listening and having good listening skills. People talk about active listening and passive listening to actively listen and not interrupt and not override what someone else is trying to communicate. This is an area that where I am certainly challenged, especially for me when I know what the person is saying or when they've asked a question. I often jump in with a comment or an answer, you know, answer the question for them before they've even finished asking the question. So this for me is an area in terms of rapport and and relationship where I need to be vigilant and and be mindful. And, you know, rightfully so, people have gotten upset with me for interrupting them. So I find this is more true for me um, in terms of something that, like we've always said on the shows, you know, we all have our areas where we need to be more mindful. And this is certainly an area for me. 
creating rapport with yourself is obviously the first step in a balanced and healthy life. And for some people, it may sound absurd to even mention the idea of creating rapport with yourself. Some may feel that it's so evident, yet sometimes the most obvious notions are lost in the busyness of our daily life. Too often we operate on automatic pilot, and it doesn't even occur to us to connect with ourselves. Especially those of us that, you know, hit the ground running in the morning and our human doings all day long until they hit the pillow at night. There's no one right recipe for creating rapport with yourself. Some people just do this automatically and never give it a thought. Yet other people need to be mindful of taking a moment to reconnect, to reconnect within when life, you know, throws you a curveball, which can happen many times throughout the day. And from time to time, we all need a minute to regroup and to come back to our senses. We have all heard people say, or people have even heard us say, I've been so busy all day, I just didn't have time for lunch, or to go to the washroom, or to take a moment to make a phone call. These are signs of lack of rapport with yourself, not a lack of time or excessive busyness. When you're in rapport with yourself, then you take the time that you need to do the things that you need for your own well-being. And we can fall out of rapport with ourselves in a moment by our reaction to what someone else says or does. Or by a reaction even to what we're thinking. But the good news is that we can reestablish rapport within ourselves in an instant. Sometimes we do that just by acknowledging to ourselves that we need to take a break and then taking a break. Or at least making a plan with yourself for when you will take a break. And in our families, at times we get caught in this custodial model of care. You know, the having the three square meals and clean clothes and the roof over your head and a clean house and nice things. And the carpooling to numerous activities. And then we think, well, as long as I'm focused on that, then everything should work out great for my family. You may be spending a lot of time doing for your kids, earning a living so that you can have a good quality of life, or, you know, doing those things around the house that gives a good quality of life and makes a nice home life. Yet it's really important to remember that your kids need quality time with you, time when they can have your undivided attention without the interruption of your BlackBerry or other electronic devices. Make make time to talk to your kids, to have real conversations about life, not just the information that we exchange about daily activities. It's really important to take the time to create rapport with your kids and really get to know them from the inside out. Then both you and your kids will be having the quality of life that you really want for yourself and that you really want for them. It's in relating with your kids that the real fulfillment of being 
a parent comes. You know, not just the pride in their accomplishments or even the pride that you feel for what it is that you can offer to them. And it's good to remember that we need to include our partners in that as well. Creating rapport with our partners, actually talking to our partners. You know, feel that kiss goodbye. Don't just do it as an automatic peck on the cheek. And really look into their eyes. Create rapport with your partner. It's so easy to just get caught in the busyness of daily life. And really, you live in the same home. You're passing each other all the time. You're seeing each other all the time. Yet you could be really missing that deeper connection or the goodness that comes from really being in rapport with your spouse or with your partner, with your significant others. Perhaps it would be a good idea for us to reflect on how much of our communication with our children or with our spouses is about the activities of daily life. You know, with our kids, we're always talking about, you know, washing and dressing and eating, getting them to pick up after themselves or their homework. And just reflect, how much time do you actually spend with your kids talking to them, sharing with them, and enjoying each other? It's likely that the more time you spend being with them, the less time you'll have to spend trying to get them to do the daily chores of life. Well, that is, of course, until you come to the teenage years. You know, just out of curiosity, how are things really going with you and your tween or your teenage kids? Some people suggest that this is, well, I mean, aside from the bad rap that the terrible twos get, some people suggest that these individuals are the hardest people on the planet to create rapport with. I found some techniques that worked well for me, you know, uh, in raising my teenager, who's now 27. You know, uh, matching and mirroring behavior, which we'll speak about a little bit later. And then the famous, you know, pick your battles. So really highlighting the things that are really important that you need to take issue with. And the best one of all for me was knowing not to take anything personally. And if we can get those things in balance, you know, we could really have a smoother time with some of the challenges that come with raising teenagers and still being able to keep your own sense about yourself. Because I know that teenagers are not intending to be subhuman. (laughs) They really don't mean you any harm. They're just going through a hormone flux that we then revisit in menopause for women and midlife crisis for men. I went through a long period of a time where I couldn't understand what my son was saying half the time until I learned to match his monosyllabic expressions. Now, often that would really be the extent of the verbal communication for a lot of the time, and meh seemed to be one of the favorite ones. Or just, he would just sometimes randomly string a bunch of syllables together, you know, which weren't really English per se, yet it could mean a variety of things. Maybe it meant that he was okay, or he had a bad day, or he was bored, or that he was tired, or hungry, or even as a way of saying goodbye. A lot of the time we expect our teenage children to act or react in rational ways, and it's kind of like expecting menopausal women to act as they do when their home hormones are in balance. 
So in these kinds of situations, creating rapport may not be so obvious with your teenagers or your tweens. You know, often the challenging times can be smoother if we understand that just being there will sometimes have to suffice. If you don't pressure your kids to talk or don't try to drag the information out of them or treat them like you did when they were eight. And if we just make statements to them that, you know, indicate that you're there for them and that you're just checking in, that sometimes that's the best that we can do to create rapport. My experiences have taught me that, you know, you can be clear and emphatic about something without having to raise your voice. And I had a perfect example of this many years ago at a family barbecue. We're all gathered in the backyard and someone needed to leave early and so a couple of cars were blocking the way. And my dad looked at me and he said, go move my car. And I responded in a quiet voice by saying, sorry that I didn't feel comfortable in doing that right now. My father was certainly surprised, yet he just quickly shifted his focus and told someone else to move his car. And then a few moments later, one of my brothers threw me his keys from across the porch, indicating that he wanted me to move his car. And again, I declined. And one of my other siblings, you know, jumped up and said they would move the car. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is that it had a very powerful outcome. From that day on, my father always took the time to create rapport with me and ask me when he wanted me to do something for him. Rather than just making a demand, he made a request. And even when I would agree to help him, he'd always check. He would check with me and say, are you sure you don't mind? So in that That day and that experience, not only did my father hear that I didn't want to move his car, I guess that was the 7%. He heard that. And then in the other 93%, he heard that I didn't appreciate it when he made demands for my help, but rather that I preferred if he would make a request for my help. And it's really an important distinction, the difference between making demands, and making requests. And that is a very powerful uh, tool for creating rapport to make a request and also something that we really need in our relationships so that people are clear who we are, where we are, what we stand for, what they can count on us for, and what our personal needs are as well. And then you want to reflect on that, the difference between making demands and making requests I really encourage you to take the time and be reflective in your own relationships. Notice if some of the things that I'm talking about may be similar to some of the things that you're experiencing in your relationships. And in that way, maybe my words can act as encouragement for you to find ways to speak up if you feel you are being uh, disrespected or change your ways if you are disrespecting others. You know, the bottom line is that we are all respectful some of the time. And we are all disrespectful some of the time. It's like myself when I talked earlier about how there are times for me 
certainly not all of the time, but there are times for me where I um, am not a good listener and I do interrupt. So in those situations for myself, when I notice that I'm being disrespectful in that way, then in that moment I have the opportunity to shift my energy and create a new way of being in relationship with that person, to be mindful, to listen. And I'm just using that as one example because there's lots of ways that we can shift our behavior when we find that maybe we're being disrespectful in some way. You know, when I reflected further about the situation, the story that I told you about my father, and it was interesting for me to note that, you know, my father's initial behavior encouraged something in me. It really encouraged me to find a way to speak up, to speak up for myself. And then, by speaking up, I gave my father an opportunity to change his behavior. And this created a deepening in our relationship because I was the one that changed my behavior first. And then he in turn changed his behavior. And it created a beautiful deepening for both of us in our relationship. So the story also illustrates that it's possible to speak your truth quietly and directly, and be heard. And sometimes even be heard more loudly and more clearly than if you shouted. And we all know, as soon as you raise your voice and start shouting or making accusations, the person you're directing that at becomes defensive, which either shuts down the communication and someone walks off, or really escalates the problem to be, that was there to begin with. Now, after talking about some of these issues that we all experience either directly with people we're involved with or indirectly by witnessing the behavior in others, you know, when we're out in public, when you're at the store, you're in a restaurant, you're in the workplace, or you even see the scenarios played out on television or out in the park, it's natural that you might have, you know, incidences or memories or things come to your mind about situations from your own life where the energy's been off in a relationship. And often the tendency, well, for some people anyways, is they want to go and talk to the people that were involved in the situations. They want to straighten things out, which is a natural thing to want to do. But my experience has showed me something, and I really encourage you to realize that there's no need for you to dredge up things from the past. As more times than not, you know, people don't appreciate you digging up the past, especially if they have had a lot of energy vested into uh, turning the page, so to speak. So my suggestion is this for you, is that just be present in the moment. And if there's an imbalance, if there's an imbalance in one of your current re- current relationships and you spend time with that person, sooner or later, the imbalance will come up between you. And then you'll have ample opportunities in the present to make the necessary adjustments. 
and to create and establish the new level of rapport with that person that you're really looking for. Or two, it might be a situation like mine where I took the opportunity to speak up. Just encourage you to take some time to reflect on some of these things that we're speaking about. You know, in, in, I had a experience, really the pleasure, really, of working with an executive director for many years that really knew how to make requests. And he always thanked me, either in person or via email, for everything that I did. It was really a a real pleasure to work with a person who showed that level of respect. And it was very easy to, in turn, reflect that level of respect back. That doesn't mean we always agreed with each other. But there was room to express. And there was room, because of the respect, to make requests and to be thanked for it from both of us. And often we witness people who are in positions of authority. We see people mistreat others. They speak unkindly. They can be unreasonably demanding or even be abusive to the employees that work with them or work under them. And yes, we all know these tactics are disrespectful and they damage any possibility of creating rapport. And in some situations, they are really an infringement on people's basic human rights to a safe work environment. So if if you find yourself in a situation like that, I really encourage you to find a way to speak up, to set the parameters for the person that is stepping over the line, so to speak. So NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uses many techniques to establish rapport. And they they do this with individuals as a way of creating a foundation. And then from there, they'll assist people with areas of their life where they feel challenged. As an example, when you create rapport with someone, you're making a connection. You're connecting with the subconscious mind, which holds the key to the inner world and to the foundation of the patterns and the behaviors that people have. Now, once rapport has been established, then the practitioner can use additional techniques to assist the individual in reframing or repatterning their behavior or their beliefs, their language, their addictions, or their emotions, and which in turn helps them to establish new ways of relating to themselves and new ways of relating to the world around them. For this show in particular, we're going to just stick with things that have to do with rapport and not delve into the other um, layers and levels of different uh, techniques and processes that are part of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Because even when we create rapport outside of a therapeutic context there's always a therapeutic benefit for everyone that's involved. And this deep connection will always increase the level of well-being and the level of enjoyment in your relationships. You know, rapport can be as simple as a feeling of trust and a feeling of assurance that you experience when you speak with somebody. You know, when you meet and connect, you feel like you've known each other all of your lives even if you've just met. 
Rapport is that natural feeling of autonomy that indicates that you really like somebody. And when you create rapport with people, mm. then people are eager to make friends. You'll likely do better in business, and you'll naturally have a better understanding about people. The ability to create rapport makes you very user-friendly in the world and more likely to glean enjoyment out of any social interaction and activity. You could even use the idea of rapport and apply it, you know, if you have a project or a, a task that you have to accomplish. And find a way, find ways of connecting with the task so that you can own it and that you can feel that you're in relationship with it rather than just going through the motions. And this can be applied even to the regular tasks of daily living that we all have to do. You know, oh, there's always another load of laundry to do and always the dishes are always there and another meal to make and all those regular routine things that we do on a daily basis. You bring the idea of rapport to those activities. There's so much more enjoyment. And, you know, one approach that people do, you know, when they have a big project or a task would be to do the obvious things first. You know, the stuff that is easier for you, just comes more naturally, and you can come easily into rapport with the project or the task from that point of view. And then as you develop in the project, you'll have more of yourself available for the parts of the task that may be more challenging. And also, other people may prefer to do it actually the other way around, to get the challenging parts out of the way right up at the beginning and then coast through to the finish line with easier aspects. But always with rapport, it's about coming into relationship in ways that are meaningful for the individual. The techniques for creating rapport. The quickest and easiest way to gain rapport is to assume that you already have it. You know, in most situations, this works perfectly well. Imagine the person you're talking to as a close friend and that, you know, the way that you speak with them and your body language and your attitude towards them will be very open. And on an unconscious level, you'll be sending the right messages. The person will likely feel relaxed, familiar, and responsive. You know, rapport exists when there's a comfortable feeling of confidence and trust between two or more people. When there's strong rapport, people understand each other more easily, and then there's a potential for really great effective communication. Rapport is essentially about making connections that are meaningful, assisting people to be fully present in the moment. And creating rapport is not a means to an end, it's more of a means to a good beginning that will allow you to gain maximum benefit from whatever activity you're involved in, whether it's with an individual or with a group. You know, often people tell a joke as an icebreaker before a meeting or a lecture, and they do this on purpose to create rapport with the audience and to help everyone relax. Just like at professional development retreats or planning days, they use team-building exercises for the same reason, because it's an effective way of establishing rapport and helping everyone to relax. Now, a technique that they do practice in NLP, which is referred to as matching and mirroring, 
When you use this with respect, matching and mirroring can be very effective for creating rapport. It, in its most simple form, matching and mirroring is about copying the body language, actions, hands, gestures, sounds, speech patterns. And this creates a good connection with the person. We always want to do this in subtle ways. It's not like mimicking somebody or mocking somebody. Eye contact is probably one of the most common, commonly spoken about and widely used approaches for connecting with another person. We all notice how distracting it can be to speak with someone when they're not looking at you. Direct eye contact can draw a person in or it can scare some people away. Really, the whole thing is about finding the right balance. You know, a soft gaze rather than a fixed one. Talking about things that people are looking at may be a way of helping you to create rapport and open communication. Body language. That's another telltale sign of whether or not the person you're interacting with is relaxed and comfortable. Your best approach would be to maintain a non-assuming, open posture. Be welcoming. A gentle, non-forceful way. Sometimes unpredictable movements can catch a person off guard, and, and that can be a good thing. Just the idea of being open and friendly, yet not invasive. Just use simple expressions and movements and provide a lot of space and room for the other person. Silence, which is very rarely talked about, yet can be so powerful. You know, sometimes people would prefer to simply be in the silence together. Often in social situations, you know, whenever it's silent, even for a moment, somebody's chiming in with something because people are less familiar with that approach in terms of, you know, that's that 93%, you know, the uh, subtler ways, silence, when there's no verbal communication even. Connecting with someone through silence, or if you could say atmospherically, can be very effective approach, you know, when someone's upset, just giving them the time and not commenting on it sometimes is the exact perfect thing to do. When people are sick or when there's an injury or when people have low cognitive functioning as well, hanging out in the silence can be very profound. In palliative care situations as well, when people just have that loving presence beside them, yet don't need to engage in conversation or answer questions. It's sometimes through the non-action that you'll be able to find a way to really connect and create rapport with people. You know, it's useful to not focus on outcomes and just allowing therapeutic benefit without focusing on therapeutic content. Be open-minded in these situations and being flexible can lead you to discover what's going to work best for the individual. Another aspect is voice. Being aware of the tone, the pitch, the volume. Generally speaking, slow and low tones are more soothing and can easily put a person at ease. 
or you can easily change the pitch slightly, which will bring more of a sense of authority in your voice. Oh, we're all familiar with this. Remember, you know, that uh, we can all remember that certain sound in your mother's voice or your father's voice, and you knew that they really meant business, and you knew that somehow you'd stepped over the line. Your voice can be a very effective tool. And uh, when I was leading outreach programs for large groups of individuals with developmental disabilities, I found it very useful to stay really closely tuned to the changes in the pitch and the timbre of people's voices. And when I would hear a change, it was usually indicated that either somebody was upset or somebody was indignant or on the verge of an outburst. And I was able to use my voice as a kind of tuning fork, you know, to help people to return to a sense of calm to reestablish rapport with each other. And of course, naturally, sometimes the situation would escalate, you know, as is always the case, that sometimes that is the case. Um, people would escalate and members in the group, maybe they weren't able or willing to let go. You know, matching voices is a very effective tool for sales and receptionists and any kind of telephone work when you can't rely on the body language or the eye contact. I've done that my whole life. I love it. I just thought of it as a game right from when I was young. Someone would call on the phone and you hear their voice and I would just automatically answer them back in the same voice. So you want to match the tonal quality of the other person, you know, if they're excited or happy, interested, serious, you know, match that. And be mindful of the speed at which they speak. If the other person speaks really, really fast with an excited voice, then you're going to have to pump up your energy to match them. But if someone speaks methodically and slowly, then you can follow them in the same way. With a little bit of mindfulness, you know, you can practice this and really become quite good at it. Piecing the breathing. You know, there's nothing more vital than the air we breathe. And unless we're purposefully taking a deep breath, which would be voluntary breathing, most of the breathing we do is automatic or involuntarily. Involuntary. We seldom think about it, right? It just happens, thank goodness. If we had to rely on ourselves to remember to breathe, we would all be in trouble, in trouble of not breathing. So with this technique, you just start by breathing in a similar pattern to the individual you're with. And once you've established that same breathing pattern, then you can slowly, like one breath at a time, begin to expand your breathing. And then once the breathing rhythm is matched, then the person will automatically breathe more deeply on their own. You could also use this matching technique, you know, if somebody needed to increase their heart rate. And you could simply match the breathing and then slowly, one breath at a time, you could increase the rate of the breathing. Synchronizing breathing is like one of the oldest rapport building techniques in record, really. In different versions of tantric yoga, the objective always was to achieve the spiritual merging, you know, two individuals holding one another gently and breathing together until the sense of separation dropped away and they were really just experiencing their own version of oneness. Some people find they can bring people back into control when they're out of control. They can bring others into control by going out of control themselves. So they exaggerate the particular the behavior of the people around them, like a child, as an example. You know, a child may learn to scream and throw temper tantrums in order to get control of other people. 
So if you pace that behavior by also throwing a tantrum, well, not at the child, of course, but with the child, then the child, you know, a calm can set in afterwards. The child's surprise at your response can give them a way to humor and to, to you know, let go of whatever it was that was the problem to begin with. I tried this with my son a few times when he was around eight years old, and I found it to be really effective. You know, and, and then we would often just end up rolling on the floor laughing. And one of my nieces used to do something. She kind of had the opposite kind of behavior. When she didn't like something that was going on, she would just stand in front of the wall, facing the wall or the fireplace, and she'd like freeze like a statue. And she would stay like that until her dad came along and started doing and saying things to make her laugh. And then she would come out of the supposed frozen state. I remember one day when she did this, and her dad wasn't around, and I started to talk to her about how I knew that only her dad could get her out of that state. And then I did something to make her laugh, and of course, the statue came alive. <laughs> you know, from my career as a caregiver, I've learned that people don't always have the ability or capacity within themselves to switch out of a mood or switch out of an energetic posture that they may be caught in. Even when kids are playing games that include role-playing, sometimes it may take one child longer to come out of the scenario and to let go of the role that they've taken on. So creating rapport with that child can really help them to kind of come back into their senses and be returned to, you know, to the present moment. And at the top of the show, I mentioned that I would also share with you some techniques or some little things that I had learned over the years, certainly as being a caregiver and interacting with people. And, you know, we all have situations from time to time with individuals where we feel challenged. We just feel challenged being around them. It could be a family member, could be a friend maybe a co-worker, or even a casual acquaintance. It could be that same person you get at the checkout all the time that just somehow, it just doesn't work out for you. Or it could be people you do business with that you're around from time to time. But certainly, it is most especially challenging when, you know, the individual is a family member or a close friend or even a co-worker that you, that you, you know, see five days a week. Did you ever find yourself saying yes when you wanted to say no? You know, or saying that something's not really convenient, but then feeling pressured inside because you know the other person expects you to help them out? So really encourage you, you know, to be direct and tell the truth. And, you know, say you're sorry that you're not able to help them out this time. Oftentimes when we feel pressured or we feel, we feel uncomfortable or we're not sure how another person's going to react to us, we kind of feel hesitant inside and so we're not direct in our responses and so then the communication is not clear. You know, some people have an endless list. No, seriously, an endless list of things that they need help with. And Maybe you as an individual have your own endless list of responsibilities. So it's important for both 
both people involved always that you're clear that you have limits and be clear about what your limits are. And offer to help them in ways that you're able to and just let go of the rest. Don't carry around that sense that, you know, you should be helping more. Just do what you can do. And then if you're clear what your limits are, it puts the other person also in a better situation to uh, rely on or find other resources or other ways of trying to get their needs met because they know that you're only able to do a certain amount and then it's clear. And then you don't have to carry that stress around yourself of being afraid every time the phone, I'm exaggerating, obviously, but being afraid every time the phone rings, you know, that that person's going to be calling you again and asking you to help them. So if you can be clear, be clear, set your limits, speak directly. And, you know, there's some things that you can do if you feel yourself becoming drained while you're being with somebody. Now, one of the things that I thought of many years ago and started to do is I thought, well, when I'm around people that are in crisis or when I'm around people that, uh, you know, are stressed or tend to share a lot of negative stories or complain a lot or whatever the scenario is, I thought, well, I'll just create a positive flow of energy coming off of me all the time. And then if I do that, then I wouldn't feel the sense of being bombarded by whatever energy is coming from them. And this technique does work. It does, does work. And, you know, there are a couple other things that you can do. Another thing I learned is that if I didn't, if I on purpose didn't make eye contact but that made it easier also to be able to still be there with the person, yet not feel that sort of draining through the making eye contact in a, an intense connection that way. And then another thing I noticed that really worked really well would be I would just move my body posture slightly. You know, move myself off center. So rather than being direct square on with the individual, I would just turn myself slightly so that our energies weren't kind of bouncing against each other or that core in the center of our body wasn't aligned up or matched up with each other. And then a few other things that I've tried. You know, one of the things that I found myself saying would be... um that it was kind of like trying to find a way to not necessarily change the subject all the time, but to change the way that we were speaking about something. And so I learned that. I had to practice, but I learned that of being able to say to people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the way we're speaking about this. I'm happy to talk about this subject, but can we speak about it in a more positive way? Can we speak about it in a more affirming way? Can we speak about it in a way where we're looking more for a better outcome? You know, I'm one of those people that have tried since I was very young to look for the blessings in life. Because there's always things that go on that are unpleasant. They happen all the time around us. They happen sometimes inside of us just by our thinking. They happen when we're out of rapport with ourselves and interact with people. You know, when we get hot under the collar, all these things that happen. 
And then even those larger things that happen, you know, when we have accidents or there's injury or there's loss and other things that are that are more in the line of tragedies. And I'm always looking for the blessing in it because there's always a blessing there. There's always a blessing there. And you can uh, acclimatize yourself to that, to acclimatize yourself to looking for the blessing in things. And you will be a happier individual, certainly. And you will also then be able to more easily receive the benefit that's really there for you in what we refer to as those tragedies in life or those difficult experiences in life. You know, another um, really useful technique that I've used with people when I've spent time with them would be to say, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we uh, take a break? You know, let's go do something and we'll take a break from our troubles. And we won't talk about our troubles today at all. Let's just talk about pleasant, enjoyable things and look for pleasant, enjoyable things around us that we can engage with. And also, this is a very effective technique. So remember, it's important to be clear and be consistent about your boundaries with people and what you're able and willing to do for them. And then they can find, uh, through other resources, the way to get their other needs met. So essentially, if you remember this message, that if you want to change someone else's behavior, the best approach is to change your own behavior. And when you change, it will also, it will often just you know, prompt a natural change in the other person because they, the behaviors and the way that you used to do things won't be there anymore that way because you're not playing the part you used to play. You know, all the techniques that um, I presented and talked about today are really easy to follow and you can adapt them to fit any scenario with anyone that you're interacting with. And through mindfulness... Report can be created in an instant by being open and being respectful and greeting another person at the level of their being. It is amazing what you can create and what you can establish. So I really encourage you to think about the things that we've talked about today and to, and to see if there is some truth underlying in some of the challenges that you are having or have been having in your relationships or even in the way you relate to yourself and to see if maybe the lack of rapport is really uh, the energy that's out in this situation. And I've given you lots of then little tips and ideas of how it is that you can create rapport in an instant, easily, even in situations that are more challenging than usual. So, you know, it's been great to speak with you today about creating rapport and to share, you know, some of the techniques from NLP and just some of the things that I have uh, figured out just by living and interacting with people and to be able to pass those things on to you. Because I know that we all have times when we're hurting in our relationships and we can't figure out what it is that we can do to make it different. So I encourage you to go into the archives and listen to the show again. Or go in and listen to any of the other shows that give really good foundation pieces for how we can create more opportunities for relaxation and for enjoyment for ourselves. And it's good to remember that we're all in it together and that just like you want to create rapport with other people, they want to create rapport with you too. 
So I encourage you to think about the things we talked about today and then find ways that you can make those adjustments for yourself so that you can have more opportunities to relax and enjoy your life. It's always a pleasure to share information with you and to help us all move along in this great experience of life. And I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith, and you've been listening to Come Back to Your Census Radio and look forward to having you listen next week. Bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week.